This is episode 64 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 64 of Ethics and Culture Cast from Notre Dame's DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, recorded during the center's 21st annual fall conference, we chat with Father Matthew Schneider, a priest of the Legionaries of Christ who is writing a dissertation on issues of privacy in the modern age. We chat about how the church engages secular thinkers on these important questions and how he has used social media as a channel of evangelization. Let's sit down together for this fascinating conversation. Well, Father Matthew Schneider, thank you so much for coming to be with us on the podcast. It's great to be here, Ken. Well, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you do your studies? Kind of those sorts of things. So I'm originally from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, I grew up there. My whole fa- my whole uh, family still lives there. Um, in 2001, I started feeling a, a call to the priesthood and uh, listening to John Paul II and things, and that led me to join the Legion that year. Uh, and then I've studied around the world with the, like the Legion. I did some studies here in the States. Then I did, for my theology, I did uh, the bachelor's degree in Rome. Then I did what's called an STL, which is kind of like between a master's and doctoral degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in Rome, I did STB, which is kind of equivalent to an MDiv, what most priests get here in the States. Then I did the STL at Sacred Heart in Detroit. And now I'm doing my S, my doctoral degree in sacred theology back in Rome at Regina Apostolorum, which is the institution the legionaries run. And my director for that is Father Nicanor Ostriaco out in Providence College. So, Father Nick is a, well, he's a faculty member of our Vita Institute and a, and a friend of the center. So that's delightful. Oh, definitely. He's, he's a great, he's a, he's a great pr- professor. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting because originally the thesis was bioethics, moral theology, kind of on the borderline. And, and at one point in the process, it definitely made a step more into moral theology, which, uh, you know, whereas he's, he's more of bioethics, even though he has a doctorate degree in moral theology, most of what he does is bioethics because he also has the degree in microbiology. Right. Uh, so, but he's, he's directing it uh, through Rome, so. Well, so what are your, what are you writing about? What is your, your dissertation? So my dissertation is on informational privacy. Uh, I think that we need to distinguish in U.S. law because we talk about the right to privacy in two senses in U.S. law. And one sense is kind of a decisional privacy that isn't really privacy in the ordinary sense we think of it. Uh, And that's where you have things like the right to abortion or the right to homosexual marriage and that. And that whole homosexual marriage shows that it's really not about privacy, but it's some kind of like free will, liberty right that the that the US Constitution is lawyers are are affirming there, not not really privacy, because marriage is by its nature a public act. That's you know, that's part of what makes a marriage a marriage is that it's public. It's not it's not and but you're invoking the right to privacy as why the state needs to accept this type of marriage, which seems to kind of contradict the actual nature of marriage, if you think in that way. So it's on informational privacy. It started a little bit on genetic privacy. Uh, Like I was saying, it started a little more bioethical. Uh, On a few stories I was seeing about that, about how much privacy uh, people have, uh, like we have for our genome and things like that. 
But as time went on, what happened is I realized that there was much more needed to kind of do a more foundational aspect of Catholic analysis of privacy in the sense of what can we take from privacy? So the, the thesis kind of has two parts in it. One part is basically looking at all these secular thinkers uh, and 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 analyzing them and, and saying, okay, what can we take from that and bring it into Catholic theology? And the other part is taking related principles from Catholic theology and seeing how they would apply to something of privacy, you know, uh, whether it's the, whatever kind of privacy you're talking about. And, but there's things like the seal of the confessional, the keeping of secrets, you know, aspects like modesty uh, and things like that. And so that's where the thesis is kind of, a, a, you know, coming from both directions, try and give a Catholic understanding based in theology on what we mean in informational privacy so that the church can speak about it the next time that there's, a, you know, some story about how much data Facebook or Google is collecting on you or or some issue about HIPAA and they're debating a new version of HIPAA or something. Excellent. Well, so who are some of the uh, the secular thinkers, for example, that you're that you're kind of studying and drawing upon or I've responding drawn, to? I, well, I, yeah, I've I've drawn on a whole bunch of them. The most the most common one is probably the one I draw on the most, and the only one who gets his own chapter is Alan Weston, uh, who was a law professor at Columbia who passed away relatively recently, in the last decade or so. Um, and he really had a very good sense of what privacy means in the abstract, because even though he's a law professor. A lot of his works are like, what is privacy and why should we have laws about privacy? And then he would have, do other works that would then take that and be more practical application, you know, in legal details, which was not the focus I did. I took on him. And so he has he has a very good understanding of privacy on a number of aspects that are very powerful, even for Catholics. And sometimes it's like he gets almost to a Catholic way of analyzing, <laughs> but then he, he because he's a secular thinker, he, he stops short of a full understanding. For example, one of his first chapters in his in his uh, Privacy and Freedom, which is his kind of opus magnus, his main his main work, uh, he talk he does a sociological analysis of basically every culture in the world and says, okay, what is there something common about privacy in every culture, uh, or is it something just like totally culture conditioned? Because that's 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 a legitimate question if you're thinking about questions of privacy, and so he get he goes to all these cultures, even cultures that people think oh they have very little privacy, and shows no they have they have a certain they have certain things that are private, and shows it as a universal among cultures. Although at the same time, it's there are cultural aspects of it that vary a little bit culture to culture, uh, you know, because he notes that like a few little things. You know, uh, such as such as the marital act are always private in every single culture, but there's a lot. But every other culture has other things that are private. But which of those things that are private varies a lot culture to culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's his first insight, really. Another thing he brings out is that, as a lot of the other secular thinkers, uh, you know, like Cecilia Bach and others, uh, focus a lot on the intrusion aspect, like when I get the information and not just on what I do with that information after I get it. Uh, to give a simple example, all of us have our information in the DMV. It has our birth date, our, you know, our social security number in the database, all those information in the DMV. And most of us don't have, don't have much of a problem with the DMV having that in a database as long as it's kept private. You know, if that database all of a sudden became, you know, on a publicly accessible website, all of us would scream, 
I, I, like there was intrusion into our privacy. Even though they already had that information, it's how they're using that information after they collected it. And so his his idea, which is kind of like that is both the information as, as taken and the information as used. And I think these two we can appropriate as Catholics. We can say like, yes, because we look at it in cult, these cultures, we can say it's universal. If we talk about it, we can talk about it as a control, like the definition I, I end up settling on is a control of information. Uh, in that sense, you know, he doesn't use the exact word control, but it, it's more or less synonymous with what he's talking about uh, in his definition. And and so it's that that aspect of the rational control of information, you know, because even, well, if we go back just a, a, st- a step here, uh, even when he's talking about all the different cultures, he also goes into these cultures that seem to be like super private. And he realized that some of them have aspects that they're unprivate about that other cultures are private about. So it's so there is kind of this certain degree that varies a little bit, but all cultures are, have a mixture of private and public. That's really uh, an interesting why, why we would talk about like a rational degree of control. Obviously, if you just say, you know, if we talk about virtue ethics, rational is, you know, the rational choice to to do this or that. And rational is not an absolute, but, and it doesn't like immediately on its own, just give you the answer to the, to every question. Right. And, and it, and it leaves a lot of, a decent amount of gray area, but I think, I think my work at least right now is much more foundational work. So leaving notable areas of gray areas of the exact application, I don't think is necessarily an issue at this point. Maybe later on I'll do another work and, and get into like some of those details more specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's what that's the kind of definition we're we're dealing with uh, when you talk about the right to privacy is how we control our information, and that's kind of based on on Weston uh, Weston's definition, although it doesn't it's not a direct quotation of his definition. Well, now earlier you made reference to the church has its own areas uh, that are that are similar to this, or has spoken and has thoughts on these same questions. Information I know, for example, if I overheard a confession, I would be bound to the same seal that you are as a priest. What what does the church have uh, kind of in this area? And where does the church teach in these things? So a certain amount of this is in the social encyclicals of the church, where it's talking about uh, related rights that imply a right to privacy, like a lot of when they talk about like rights to secondary institutions, like the right to the family. Uh, you know, in one of them, it talks about the right to have a uh, a home, a, an individual home for your family and not to have to be forced to share accommodations. But that's indicating a sense of privacy for the family, even though the, the term in the social is not privacy at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just talking about each family has the right to their own house, basically, or their own apartment of some form. Uh, you know, or other things like like private property or, or human dignity that kind of touch on privacy. Um, in Fratelli Tutti 42, Pope Francis is the first one to really affirm the right to privacy as a moral right in the magisterium. But he he kind of, he basically just says it exists and it's bad when we encroach on it. He doesn't really go into what is it. Uh, you know, I had started my, my doctoral thesis before Fratelli Tutti was published, and I had thought, you know, the question was, uh, you know, does the right to privacy exist in Catholic theology? And when this number from Fratelli Tutti comes out, it's like it changes from that to how do we understand it? Even mm. though, does it exist? It was going to be 95% how do we understand it? <laughs> right, right. You know, uh, not just yes or no, does it exist? Um, and that's from there. And then on the other side, you have a lot on, uh, not so, not necessarily as much on the magisterium, but a lot in uh, kind of 
the great theologians on things like keeping secrets or like you mentioned, the seal. And there's a whole development on, you know, like professional secrets, you know, like, like, and the, the idea is that a lot of those have very clear analogs with modern privacy. Like, like, cause you know, somebody from the, some theologian from a hundred years ago was talking about, well, in what cases can your doctor, does your doctor have to keep confidentiality of the patient? You know, it's kind of a professional confidentiality and, you know, that and HIPAA would seem to have a very close, you know, correspondence. Obviously, there it's considered as a secret, not just as information that's kind of, because information, when you're talking about privacy, is often an implied secret. You know, like, like that I, you know, I went in and got my, I go and get my annual, you know, physical and I get the blood, the blood test and they have that, you know, and there's implied that I'm, that there's an implied secret between me and the, and the blood testing company and the, and the doctor that like you're not going to share this with the world, but it's it's not explicitly stated like it might have been to the doctor a hundred years ago, in in the kind of things. Although there is that professional, there was that professional secrecy there that kind of relates to those. Uh, so those are the kind of things from a Catholic perspective uh, that are come that uh, that uh, that I deal with a lot. Uh, you know, it's uh, so it's kind of coming at it from both sides there. Well, now you've come to speak at the fall conference, uh, and you're you've kind of spoken about your dissertation. What was your paper about, and what were the other papers on your panel about together? <laughs> that I realize that's putting you on the spot. Were you paying attention? <laughs> so uh, my paper was uh, it was titled "Privacy and Catholicism: Deeper Sense of Human Dignity" because the conference here is on human dignity. So uh, it was focusing on uh, you know how. Like the the idea of human dignity can help us get from uh, like a Western definition of privacy, which I mentioned is, is very legal, to a much fuller definition was the first part. Uh, I had kind of had three points. That was the first point. The second point was more about human dignity as far as the social encyclicals and how that and how that uh, or even Gaudium et Spes and how things like being imago Dei to speak to a sense of a sense of privacy. And the third part was uh, an analysis of John Paul II's theology of the body, and talking about the difference in uh, in how modesty as a sense of privacy, and how even other forms of privacy, in the sense that like before in before the fall, we could all have perfect communion with everybody, whereas now to actually have communion, we need we need some separating off of like an us versus them, not in a, not in a bad way, but in the sense that like you know this is our family. And this is our family tradition, and you know it's our little secret. You know it's like you know it's uh, you know, and we're not telling the whole neighborhood. We're not you know, and and those type of things and how those are related, and though you know because that is a sense of dignity that we have in this kind of in between between the fall and the and the second coming, uh, where we're where we where we exist. You know, at least for now. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll we'll be we'll be with Jesus in the second coming. But uh, you know, right now we're between the fall and the second coming. So, and the other the other two uh, one was one was talking about uh, how we can uh, look at the uh, different kinds of moral theories, kind of an extension of McIntyre in his uh, After Virtue and Three Systems of Moral Inquiry. It was kind of an extension of that one uh, and talking about how to how to do it practically and how to engage practically on those type of things. Uh, and the third one was an analysis of internet use and uh, internet addiction or problematic internet use, uh, focusing on the internet itself and how the internet affects uh you know, psychology and, and ethical choices and things. 
uh, explicitly avoiding the more the specific what specific content the person will look at, especially you know things like pornography addiction or video game addiction, which which are forms of internet addiction, but are really directed more at the pornography or video games most of the time. Uh, you know, so those are the other two presentations on my panel. I, you know, I don't want to go into super detail because I, I have a good memory of them, but I don't have like, sure. you know, <laughs> perfect memory. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that, you know, that that third paper was dealing with kind of internet and, and stuff because this is how uh, I know I first encountered you is you are relatively active on social media. Uh, and so perhaps as a priest, can you talk about your own presence uh, on social media? How, how do you view it as a, as a user, knowing that it can be something that can be very, um, very difficult for a lot of people? Well, it was interesting for me because I started out not in the sense that like, oh, I want to be like the best on social media or anything. When I was, so from 2006 to 2010, I was working out in the field as a religious brother uh, in youth ministry. And towards the end of that, I started being on kind of uh, the rewrite development team. So we were rewriting our, our youth ministry conquest, uh, which is which is kind of a Raiden Christie directed youth ministry. Uh, we were writing kind of the books and like, you know, weekly activities and things. And along with that, I started having different thoughts about youth ministry and how you know, how it can, we can do better with it in the U.S. And I started a very simple blog and nobody was reading it and asked a few, <laughs> asked a few people I know in real life and they said, well, you got to put it on like Facebook and Twitter. So I started a Facebook and Twitter account, you know, when I was, uh, you know, I was studying theology there. And, uh, and then it just, it just, uh, it just started taking off. The first big kind of bump was uh, when Pope uh, Benedict XVI resigned uh, I was one of the organizers of a hashtag Thanks Pontifex, which was which uh, which was trending right at the end of uh, the last day, the February twenty eighth, uh, when he was his last day as Pope, and so that was those type of things were that was really what started bumping it up, and then it just and then it just kept being that you know having that being able to synthesize you know the thought of of this or that into a short message, you know, a tweet, you can't, uh, I managed to give a good Catholic perspective to people. And, and my view on that is it's meant to be, it's meant to be kind of a support for people who are, who are Catholic and, and, and have, you know, so it's like, how do I live my faith in my everyday life? Whether it's, you know, a, uh, you know, a reflection from a spiritual author I tweet, or whether it's kind of like a, a moral analysis of an issue of the day, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think anything like that can replace, you know, going to mass and your parish and things. But I think a lot of times it can be a supplement for people throughout the week so that, you know, and I'm just thinking of like an average professional guy, like, you know, like my brother-in-law or somebody, he, you know, he goes to mass on Sunday and then, you know, the rest of the, the rest of the, the rest of the week, he's, he's like the IT manager at his job, you know, <laughs> like, and so if, if he sees a message on like, you know, oh, like this, this moral, this story I heard about here is the Catholic moral analysis in a way that's bite-sized so it can understand it. It can be helpful for him and things like that. And that's, and that's what I was, that's what I always, that's what I generally see it as, is kind of a way to, to kind of provide that kind of uh, continuation for the people who, you know, who often due to work or, or life circumstances can't, you know, get to mass every Sunday, but can't be like, you know, at the church more often, even though they probably wish they could sometimes, you know, and things. Yeah. To provide kind of, the, and provide that combination, you know, the moral analysis and even like the spiritual authors, because I'll, 
you know, I'll often tweet spiritual authors or like reflections on, uh, you know, on this on the readings of the day or things uh, to kind of give that kind of daily life. Obviously, as I've gotten more into moral theology, it's might have tended a little bit more that way, just because that's, you know, like when I started it, I was, you know, I was like second year theology in the seminary. And now I'm writing a doctoral thesis in moral theology. So uh, I realized my own Twitter, it's going to partially depend on what my everyday life is as well. It's not just kind of like existing there in the abstract. So I know that I, I do know that I've gotten more into the moral aspect just because that's where I've other things in my life have led me, uh, you know, to do the doctoral thesis and things. So that's, that's where I, that's where I am at the moment. Uh, you know, and I, and I write regularly article, I write articles pretty regularly being in most of the major Catholic publications, you know, from America, Krugs, uh, National Catholic Register, uh, Alethea, you know, those type of things that the ones public discourse, which is, I guess, not Catholic, but kind of, you know, it's not, it's, Lots it's, of Catholics it's are involved. Judeo-Christian Judeo <laughs> ethics. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, so, so that's, that's where, you know, I think it's a, it's a way to get the kind of stuff we're talking about in the, in this moral theology, but to synthesize in a way that, you know, my brother-in-law who's an IT manager or somebody else in a similar situation, you know, or my sister, his wife, who's, you know, stay-at-home mom with her kids, you know, is not, can, can understand it and not feel, not feel overwhelmed because I think, you know, if I brought either of them to this conference, they would be overwhelmed, you know, sure, sure. They're, they're, like my brother-in-law could probably, but if like the internet talk, cause he would, he would know, he knows he, he's an IT manager, but uh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but like most of the talks, it would be, it would be above them, but it's trying to present though the analysis in a way that that hopefully is understandable to the average person, you know, and sometimes that can be done in a tweet. Sometimes that ha takes, you know, a 500, a thousand word article, you know, and that's, you know, and that's, that's all over. <laughs> that's where, that's where, yeah, I have, to, I write a lot of the articles. So, right. Wonderful. If somebody wanted to learn a little bit more, take a, a little deeper dive into some of the uh, concepts of privacy and, uh, and as you were talking, even the moral theology, what would be a resource or two that somebody could, could, you know, kind of read for that. Yeah. So as a moral theology, there's a lot of different resources to start off with. I know as far as privacy within the church's teaching, there is very little. Uh, part of what ended up with, with Father uh, Nicanor Ostriaco with the doctoral thesis was I had I had talked to, I was talking about, uh, I had actually thought of my theme first and then looked for a director, which is not the most normal way to do a doctoral thesis, but <laughs> that's how I did it. That's how I was doing it. And I emailed him saying, hey, I was looking at this theme. And he said, oh, yeah, I want to do a new edition of my textbook. And I just looked through all the like Catholic resources, you know, what, uh, you know whether it's different journals, uh, you know, and I found nothing on this topic. And I, it was a topic I wanted to add to my next edition of my bioethics textbook. So, so, he, that's, that, so he's like, that's part of why, why he took it on, because it was, it was a topic that he knew was needed. Uh, and unfortunately, there's not a ton out there. Um, Matthew Shadel has written a few things. Uh, I've written a few things. Uh, you know, if you search either of us for for blogs and things, uh, Matthew Shadel focuses on surveillance capitalism, which, especially for a lot of the questions like Facebook and Google, is very relevant. Uh, and so he's, you know, he's reasonably good with that. Uh, I have a few pieces more on privacy on my own blog, and 
you know, and he has a few like on, uh, he had it on catholicmoraltheology.com, I think was one, and another one on Church Life Journal. So those are kind of, uh, you know, and all those are more specific issues, not uh, privacy in general. Unfortunately, there's no kind of like uh, either academic or popular work that kind of talks about the right to informational privacy in Catholic theology or in a Catholic sense. uh, And that's, Part of the reason I'm writing a doctoral thesis right. because it's there's nothing both, yet. There's maybe. nothing yet, yeah. and and I don't know how I don't know when the doctoral thesis will be published in a way that the, you know for the average person. I know the plan is to hopefully defend it around Easter time uh, of 2022, but I don't know as far as turning what, it into a book. Well, turn it into a book, and then there's there's almost like two different books. One would be kind of a 400-page version that I'd put through an academic publisher, and the other one would be like a 150-page version that I'd put through like Pauline or Ignatius or somebody like that mm-hmm. uh, for a more popular audience. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of resources. We have a few few kind of blog posts by 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 myself and or Matthew Shadle's, you know, reasonably, reasonably good too. Uh, but I haven't seen a ton more that's kind of out there and ex- especially that's accessible. Well, if somebody wanted to follow you on social media, what is your your Twitter handle? Is that uh, the best place to follow you these days? Well, I post the most on Twitter, but it depends where you are. If you're not on Twitter, I'm also on Instagram. I'm on I'm on Facebook. Uh, those three, I you know, I generally keep up pretty pretty consistently. And it's just Fr Matthew LC. So like Father Matthew, and then LC is for the Legionaries of Christ, my religious community. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's what I've used as my handle. Uh, and it works on all three of those, which are, I think the three most common social media people use, especially for stuff like this. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not on TikTok or anything like that. I'm not. (laughs) Well, Father Matthew, thank you so much for coming to be with us at the fall conference. And thank you for your contribution to, to understanding these issues, uh, as, as church. Okay, well, thank you very much, Ken. I'm glad to be on. I hope that uh, the Ethics Center here, the Nicholas Center, can do great things to help build the church and help uh, people understand all the richness of the church's teaching. Thank you to Father Matthew Schneider. Find links to his social media profiles and some of his writing in the show notes. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast so that you can always get the latest episodes by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please review the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is I Dunno by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions.